Hey everybody, and welcome to our newest project for first responder wellness, No One Fights Alone, an in-depth conversation about mental health and addiction in the first responder space. We're joined by your hosts, Austin Pedersen and Josh Adams. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of No One Fights Alone. Uh, we always have special guests, but uh, today is uh, one podcast that I've been looking forward to uh, since we put this trip together a few months back uh, because of the need uh, that this organization is filling uh, for our first responders across the country. Uh, in, in this space, I feel like you guys are a little bit famous. Uh, at least when I started working in this space four years ago, I heard about you guys right off the bat. Well, that was you know, that was my goal to be famous. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. something finally. And, uh, you know, so I, I want to open it up. Uh, we do have Chief here as well. Chief, you'll add in and say hi to everybody. Hi to everybody. <laughs> uh, we'll open it up to Mr. Nur- Nick Turkovich, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about West Coast post-trauma. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. So... Yeah, where do you want to get started? History of the organization or me well, or what are we doing? Let's get a little history about yourself, just kind of your background um, in law enforcement and, okay. and you know where you're from, and then we'll drop right into the history of the organization as well. Yeah, so I was born and raised in San Francisco Bay Area um, and uh, escaped, planning to never go back. And uh, spent nine years in the military. I was a medic and... Uh, you know, California drew, you know, it, it draws you, you know, I don't know how it is here in Utah, but, but California, you know, just grabbed me, pulled me back and, uh, I needed a job and, uh, you know, I, I don't like to admit this to my fire friends, but I tried to get on the fire department, but they weren't hiring guys like me. So, <laughs> so it was a se- second chance with, let's go over to the police side and got hired by a, uh, city in the, in the East Bay, uh, Antioch, California, about 100, 120, 130,000 people in that town, uh, very high crime rate. Uh, be honest with you, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, if you want to be a police officer, that's a, that's a fun place to work. Uh, but it also carried a lot of, uh, a lot of trauma for the, for the responders. On the police side, the fire side, you know, dispatch, everybody involved in that town um, was was suffering and, and what my history a little bit in the military was uh, I, I was diagnosed with PTSD uh, from some of the stuff that I had dealt with and at the PD I started seeing the same symptoms in some of our officers and I was naive to that at, at the time I thought only post-traumatic stress was a, was a military thing but then I found that it was not and uh, and so Pretty early in my career, and I started in '87, I believe, and I want to say '92, '93, we started a peer support program, um, <laughs> shooting from the hip, and we had no idea what we were doing. Um, first peer support meeting, most successful we ever had was in a bar, and we found out that's probably not the best place to do this, <laughs> um, but we did have numbers, um, and then we progressively uh, became more. Uh, professional in what we did and I think by the time my career was ended I, I think I think we were doing a pretty good job taking care of our folks yeah well and so growing up in California uh, at least from my parents who also grew up in California in the Bay Area Antioch was a place we stayed away from yeah yeah a lot of people avoided that town although you could get cheap meth yeah absolutely yeah. there there's always bonuses yeah, yeah. yeah. So but uh, as as far as you guys creating, you said eighty seven was when. Uh, that, no, that's when I started. Uh, it had to be like ninety two, ninety three. It was pretty early in my career. So it was after I was involved in a pretty pretty horrible shooting. Okay. Um, well, were you guys the first in the area to start a peer support team, or were you taking hints from San Francisco? Kind of where where did you guys get? I know you were flying by the seat of your pants, but did you have any direction? We had zero direction. Um, we basically um, started because we had a friend of the police department, I would like to say a friend of the police department, who was a, a therapist that would volunteer her time to come down and, and just chat with us. And she gave us the idea about, why don't you start a, a support? We didn't call it peer support. I don't even know what we called it back then. Um, but it essentially it was peer support. So, so yeah. So it, 
yeah, so that's how I got involved in this. You know, I'm not a therapist. I, you know, I, that's not my gig. Um, but according to some people, I'm an expert in peer support. So um, that's, that's how I got involved with the West Coast Post-Trauma Retreat or our banner organization, which is the First Responder Support Network. So that's how that uh, led into that. And I've been working with them for about 16 years now. Okay. Yeah. And that's, like I said, like in this space, I feel like you guys are famous. And so uh, can you tell us a little bit about how it started and, and where the, uh, you know, where the thoughts were at the beginning? Like if it was going to turn into what it is now or if it was meant to just be kind of a California thing or, you know. Yeah. Of- yeah. Yeah. Um, I was not there at the beginning. Um, I was, I came into it about four or five years after, after it had started, started in Marin County. Uh, and it was a tragedy. It was a police officer in Marin County that uh, committed suicide by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. And it was, uh, some of his colleagues and some of the mental health professionals in the Marin County area, uh, decided we can't let that ever happen again. And the goal with the organization was if we can prevent one suicide, then we're successful. And that was the goal. Um, so it, t- it, took, um, it took a year, about a year, year and a half to get started before they ran the first retreat. And, uh, and that was in 2000. No, when was that? Yeah, I guess 2000, if I, if I remember right. Anyway, well, I'm not good with math. So, um, and we've been doing them ever since. Uh, it started off with one a year, went to three, then it blossomed. It, it kind of blew up into about seven or eight a year. When I took over the position that I have now, we were doing 10 a year. Now we're doing 30 around the country. So, yeah, we've, we're, we're growing fast because there's a great need, great need out there. So question: when did it become, this needs to be a, a retreat, a multi-day experience versus... You know the the old school, but continuing with you know cr- critical incident debriefs, things like that. Where it's like, hey, we're gonna have a meeting, right, right, right. What? Where did the notion come? Where? Hey, this needs to be an actual retreat. Yeah. Uh, so there was a program called Onsite out in Massachusetts that was doing something very similar to what we do. Uh, I don't know how long they had been around. But our folks, uh, um, our founding, our founding fathers, uh, kind of reached out to them and says, "Hey, we would like to do something like that here. How do we do it?" And what they found was it had to be an inpatient program. Um, and they explained to the, our, our our founders, that, "But don't call it an inpatient program because you're never going to get a cop or a firefighter to walk through your doors." Mm-hmm. So, so that's how they came up with the the retreat, and, and we've kept that name. Um, so there's, don't get me wrong, a a critical stress debriefing is a very valuable tool, um, but it is not going to get deep enough to where the, the the significant trauma is going to be impacted. Correct. You know, and that's in my opinion, um, as somebody who's sat in a lot of them. And and so, cause what part of the, to frame that question for me is, you know, for, the the culture inside of first responders and then administration and things like that you know having a meeting is is simple affordable it's something that we can easily check the Mm -hmm. box on versus hey this uh, a retreat if you will is it's not just a hey it's a financial investment but hey this is time away from work time away potentially from family you know you're not you're you you are you're retreating versus you know and and so i guess that's kind of where you know, when did it, when, when, and what level of support and buy-in did you find in from a cultural, from the line officer, if you will, and then from an administrative one and who kind of led out in that formulating, Hey, this is cool. Yeah. That's, um, we still haven't conquered that mountain yet. Right. You know, so I I think, um, I think, you know, in the job that I do now traveling around the country, I'm still hearing that it would be easier to do a critical stress debrief and then, you know, slap everybody on the back and say, okay, we're done. Um, 
so we're still working through that. Mm -hmm. uh, there is there. I would say the philosophy has changed probably because um, some integral parts were moving at the right time. Um, San Francisco Police Department uh, started their behavioral science unit uh, around that time, which is still you know super active in that department today. So I think that I think changing the culture in the Bay Area was probably what allowed us to grow, and we're slowly moving our way across the nation. But still, there's still that stigma that is attached yeah. to, to mental health. And, and you know, on, on the law enforcement side, the fire side, um, anywhere in the, the responder culture, there's still that stigma. Um, but I think we're moving forward. I mean, the fact that, you know, that we're here in Utah doing what you guys do here, uh, you know, we're, we're spread out now in, in multiple states. So the culture is changing, but it's slow. Right. You know, how long did we carry six guns? <laughs> you know, when I started as a police officer, every, you know, everybody else had automatics, but we had six guns because that's the way we do it. Yeah. Right. So the culture is slow to change. Mm -hmm. it, it's one of those conundrums where Mike, even I'm listening to you speak and, and even talk about impatient, right? We don't use that word even. We're a residential center. Yeah it's, yeah, it's brilliant because yeah. you know, I'll go to a, I'll, I'll go to a center yeah. or a retreat, mm -hmm. you know, because yeah. of the stigma, right? Yeah, the stigma yeah. and the culture and, and the idea of what something like this is, or even something like your retreat is. Yeah. I mean, so talk a little bit about length and, you know, what's kind of expected out of those officers when they arrive. Yeah. So uh, our retreats start on a Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon. Uh, our, our program is unique because it's, I think the line we use is peer driven and clinically, you know, you know, over, overseen or something. I can't remember exactly what our, what they say, but the fact that we're, we're surrounded by peers and most of our peer pro, most of our peers that come back and volunteer have been through the program as clients where where they were paying customers coming in, getting the treatment, and part of their recovery plan is 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 coming back and paying it forward. So, so it's kind of unique when they show up on a Sunday. It can be completely overwhelming. We hear this from our clients all the time. It's like, where did all these people come from? So we could we have about a three to one ratio of our volunteers to a client, and yeah, as you know. We, uh, any any responder that's suffering from post-traumatic stress is isolated. They have removed themselves from their families, the the the, the friends. They're some of them are showing up to work, but that could be the only thing. So we put them in an environment that's very uncomfortable. And I guess I'm doing a really bad job about selling this thing, right? Not so, at all. But it, the reality is, it you're they're overwhelmed when they first get there. Well, you have to be uncomfortable for change. That's that's part of it yeah. if, if you are not uncomfortable in a situation like yourself i don't believe they're doing the work that it yeah. takes yeah that's a good point yeah and we do and, and, it, and it's uncomfortable from sunday all the way till friday mm -hmm. so it starts on sunday ends on friday it's a live-in program so so our clients live uh in, we have a uh, in california I'll, I'll use that as our main that's our main campus so we have a, a facility that we own Every, staff Everybody lives there 24 seven. Um, we take all of our meals together. We, you know, if, if you have time to go out and exercise, you're exercising with, with a, a bunch of, you know, people that you just met. So they're thrown in, they're, they're thrown into this environment um, where they, where they start learning that they're not alone. Uh, when, when I was going through my stuff with, with my mental health issues, I thought I was the only, I was the only person on earth that was going through this, you know, and, 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 and I, and I bought that, I, I sold it to myself and I bought it. But when we put them in that environment, it's slow. It, it's a slow change in them, but they start realizing, okay, I'm not alone. I'm not the only responder that's ever, you know, gone through this stuff. Most, we do a pretty good job of showing them their symptoms. Um, from what we do with our clinical intakes before they come to the, the program, we, we know what they're going through and post-traumatic stress, you know, stress symptoms are symptoms. 
And so when we put them together and none of them have the same incident, most of them don't even know each other. They, they, they work in different parts of the country, in different cultures, but the symptoms are the same. And then all of a sudden they start realizing, okay, I'm not alone. So we do that very quickly in the program to try to get rid of that stranger danger thing. Yeah. Uh, what can I tell you the rest of the week? Uh, very intense. We, we take them through to help them process their critical incident. So we, we make them relive their, their critical incident. They talk about it, um, which is very difficult you know, for responders to do. They can tell you the police story you know the either the the, the war story with with the humor and all that stuff thrown into it or they'll tell you the police report or the the for the medics or the firefighters the after action report they can tell that they've learned how to tell that story but getting into the emotional side that's where the problem lies they don't share that part they start to learn throughout the beginning of the week throughout the week that that they're going to they're going to share that part uh, as uncomfortable as that is for them they start to pick that up and then it comes out. Are there ever um, participants that come in and they don't know what their trauma is? Like to say, hey, this is, this is the experience or the, the war story or whatever, where they're just like, I'm screwed up and I'm not exactly sure why or I don't know which one. Like it's more of a cumulative thing yeah. to them. Um, or do you guys help them kind of, I don't know, triage them, so to speak, or something like that? Okay, well, let's get down to the one. Right, yeah. Walk them through that. To, okay, well, this is the one that the rest of them stack themselves on top of maybe or that they all tend to orbit around this one event. Is that kind of what you have to do with some of them sometimes? Yeah, some of them, some of them have very clear understanding why they're there. It, you know, it's, it's that big one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it, it's the one that... It's the one that, you know, has been affecting them for however long they've been in the business. Um, they don't need much help to get there. They're coming with an idea. This is what I want to work on. Uh, the cumulative, the cumulative stress. Uh, the people that've been in the business for a long time, that have, uh, you know, they're they're carrying a rucksack full of trauma, and it's like. Yeah, they they almost ask which which one you want to deal yeah, with today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they really can't pinpoint the they can't pinpoint you know the specific call, but they know that their lives are falling apart. Yeah. And then and then we get then we get the ones that that um, we really have they have no clue they they have no clue that they've even been subjected to trauma. They they just think this is their normal. And they're being, you know, and they get referred by a, a therapist or some or somebody like that or a colleague, mm-hmm. and then then we're having to educate them. We got to educate them on on what you know what you know post traumatic stress is, what you know critical incident stress is. So we do an education process throughout the week as well. Gotcha. Yeah, and like that's I think that's one of the most important things is like you guys aren't marketing this like a traditional you know, marketing scheme or, Hey, we're putting ads on Google or, or whatever you're doing. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. a lot of it is peer driven, right? A yes. lot of it is someone who's been through the program, whether it was 20 years ago or a year mm-hmm. and they're talking to their buddy or their colleague and they're saying, you've got to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, frequently it'll happen. We'll, you know, we'll get, you know, I'm not going to say any departments, you know, any department in any state in the union, the next thing you know is we get another one and then another one and then another one. And then we become kind of the caregivers for that specific department. And that's happened frequently around the country where you wouldn't think, you know, well, some of those departments, I didn't know they existed. And the next thing I know is we have six or seven clients coming from that department. It's all because one person goes back, has the courage to say, Hey, I wasn't in California at the beach. This is what I was doing. Yeah. And I love you. I care about you. And maybe you should get on that plane. And so that's how, you know, we do not, we don't have to, um, you know, market this. Oh, it's this. I mean, it's the same with us. We have a, a department in Colorado, 200 uh, members in this department. We've treated 14 over two and a half years. And I didn't even know this town existed. Right. 
before, and it took one person who was higher up mm. in the department to go seek the help, told nobody, came back, then spread the word. Yeah. And that's that's the power of what you're striving for is that healing moment and then the peer-driven portion, which is somebody who says, I've been through it, walk through the fire with right. me as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, you know, I think what makes our program successful is is the peer support. You know, the there's a lot of work that's done with our clinicians. You know, they're they're getting into those little nooks and crannies in our brain, right? They're they're digging that stuff out. But a lot of the good work and I hear this from our former clients all the time. It's like you know, we have this beautiful deck out out there that overlooks a little lake. Um and they'll say, Yeah, when I was out on the deck with so and so, when I when I was when I was on the deck, you know, you know, talking with with the group, you, you don't hear a lot of it. Well, when I was in the processing room, no. Yeah. When I was on the deck, it's that peer support, you know. And it, it I, I say this a lot of times, you know, to try to explain what we do. It's, you know, we could we can put people that, that in a room that care, you know, that that don't understand the job, and that's that's good, right? We want people that care about us, but when we put people in a room that care, but they've also stepped in the same crap as, as the clients. Now we got to buy in. Yeah. That level of connection can't be replicated with somebody's education or even their intent really. But it's that, yeah, I, we can meet each other half hour ago and already kind of consider each other to be peers just based on our history and our story. Yeah. You know, and yeah, yeah so it, it drives that connection for these emotionally disconnected people. Yeah. And they're, they're craving it. I think a lot of the times is, that, you know, that's one of the biggest reliefs I think a lot of people find is, you know, I came to this space and I'm connecting with people when I felt isolated. Right. You right. Know? You know, it, you know, we do a, we do follow up. It, it's kind of a funny story. The, the other night I just closed down a retreat um, a week ago. And we do uh, we do follow up Zoom meetings with with our our clients, and, and it, they were all there, and they were all laughing. You know, you know, I'm getting ready to start this meeting, and then we're on this big Zoom call, and these they're yucking it up, and they're poking fun at each other. You know, and I'm going, wait a minute, man, I got to hurry up, I got to pack, to, I right. got to go to Utah <laughs> the next day. You know, you know, but then I, I I sat back and go, man, this is this is the magic. You know, because when they walked into that building a couple of weeks ago, they were broken people. Yeah. You know, I'm, I get emotional when I think about this. You know, it's like they were broken, and it's like now they're now they're yucking it up like when we were rookies. You know, and it's it almost brings back to that the life of the job too. So it's it's very rewarding. To, yeah, that's to that restoration work. of, you know, there's nothing wrong with them, but it's been such a change that's happened to them. They connect, and so yeah, they come in broken they wade through uh, the tears together and the, and the hurt and the pain and then they come out on the backside and yeah, we have it here too where it's like, we'll have some of these sessions where it's like everybody's just bullshitting the whole time because it's like, you can't get, nobody wants to be serious because they're up, they're happy, they're connected, they're, you know, enthusiastic yeah. about their lives where, yeah, they did not come in with that at all. Yeah. 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 I was at a, was at a retreat years ago and, uh, you know, one of the one of the clients um, had some tragic news, uh, and his father had died, um, kind of a a sudden a sudden death, and he had and we're we're getting ready for him. Okay, we got to pack him up. We got to get him to the airport. We got to get him home. And as we're planning this as a staff, he comes up and he goes, "Hey, I'm not going anywhere." You know, you know. Wait a minute. You got to. Mm. He goes, "No." I got two more days here. He goes, these are my people. I, I'm, I'm more, if I leave, I'm going to go into operations mode and I'm going to fix everybody's problems, but I can't do that because I got two more days here. And I went, wow. Wow. And, and you know, the good news is nobody at home was telling me he had to come home either. Right. That's rare. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a true supportive family yeah. as well. I said, you do the, you do the couple extra days there. Um, we will fix, we will take care of ourselves until you get home. And, and, and he said, and I, and he's come back several times as a peer. And I, I, I he tells that story 
And he said if that would have happened on the Sunday, the first day of the retreat, he would have been out of their bags back. Sure. Right? But he saw the connection. He needed that connection, and he saw how he was healing in such a short amount of time. And, and he, was not gonna, he wasn't going to cut himself short, which was, you know, it's kind of a testament. I think it's a testament to the people that, that put their lives on, you know, out there, you know, for the citizens. And they, you know, that's the kind of people that they are. Yeah. But in this moment in time, he realized the best thing I can do is take care of myself and let everybody else take care of themselves until I'm ready. So it was good. It seems like, and tell me if I'm wrong, this is kind of always the way I've thought about uh, when similar cultures uh, and professions get together for something like that. Uh, it, it feels like in the short period of time that they're together, the friendships and the connections that they form are stronger than some people that they've known for 20 years. No doubt. No yeah. doubt. You know, I've, you know, I've, I've been in, you know, firefights with my fellow officers that I worked with for 25 years. I'm, I'm closer to those people that come through those retreats by far, because what we shared, you know, in the, in the, you know, blazing glory of the, the streets of Antioch was a moment in time where it was, you know, the excitement and adrenaline was all there, but it, it, it goes away. But when you're at this, in this environment, you know, you're sharing your, the deepest, darkest things of, of who you are. You're, you're, you're finally showing your humanity. And if, if somebody is going to bear their soul to me, you know, I, I feel like I can bear my soul to them. And that builds that camaraderie. You know, I'm sure that, you know, when I pass from this life, I'm sure that my department will probably, you know, send an honor guard of, of you know, 15 year old officers or who, you know, whoever's <laughs> left, but you know, who will be there in droves. I really believe some of these clients that have come through this Absolutely. program for the past 16 years. And, and, you know, that's where I, th I think that's what's important, you know, so it, it does. And I'm sure you, you see that here, right. In, in, in this program, you know, mm -hmm. I bet they're a little, I'm, I'm just guessing that when they leave this program, they're a little nervous to go back to the world, right? Oh yeah. We see that, you know, I've, I've done 189 retreats around the country. I've seen it 189 times where these responders are going, can't I take this with me? Can't I take this to the PD or the firehouse or the dispatch center? And I go, no, <laughs> no, now you gotta mm. be able to learn how to live in the real world where stuff is gonna smash in the mouth. Yeah, but they have that group that they went through as a support but system. But they will always have that. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, I know countless groups um, of clients that have gone through here years down the road. Like we just had Brad on, still still talking yeah. to the same group of people that he went through with, you know, almost all of them in great places. Yeah. You know, people getting awards and yeah. people doing medical retirement, whatever it is, they're walking through all of those things together yeah. and, and some failures and some successes and divorces and that same group that spent that short in the grand scheme of their life, right? A really short period of time together are closer than, you know, some of their childhood friends. Yeah. We, had, very uh, much we had a story the other night. Um, a guy told me I, and I've, uh, I've known this guy for probably, 15 years and uh, I didn't know this part of the story though uh, about five years after he'd gone through our program you know he had a really rough rough call and he he knew his career was going to come to an end and he was he was contemplating suicide you know drove to a place decided this was going to be the place to to do that and he picked up his phone and he started dialing and and one person from the retreat that he had gone to five years ago picked up that phone. Well, he's still alive because of the conversation that he had with that person. I'm getting you know. goosebumps. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. pick up the fucking phone. That's, right. That's it's a, we call it the 500 pound phone, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and he did. He did exactly what we tell him. And he did it. And he's alive. You know, and, and it, you know, and, and I always laugh. I go, you know, because he says, yeah, I, you know, I kept going down the list, you know, and finally, you know, somebody somebody answered because we tell people hey look you know everyone's busy you're on you know especially if you're still working you're working graveyards or something keep 
making those phone calls. Just don't end at the first one. And he didn't. And thank God he didn't. You know, and that, that person picked up the phone. And, and the reality was they weren't really good friends at the retreat. They didn't really bond together. But this other peer answered the phone. And that guy is alive. And now he's paying it forward. He's, you know, he comes and does retreats for us. He's, he's very um, active in, in his community, you know, his, the police community in the state where he lives now. I mean, it, it works. It works. You know, and, it, and, it's, and that's why... You know, it, I, I laugh, you know, we were um, before, you know, the chief, told me, we were talking about, hey, you could retire if you want to, right? You know, it's like people will ask me, hey, when are you going to really retire? You, I've been retired from the police department for 10 years. I go, I don't know. I don't think I ever want to retire from I'm this. I'm living my best life. Yeah. I mean, this, this is, you know, I look back at the police career. I mean, it gets more awesome every year because my stories get better, right? Right. But the reality was, man, that was... I don't know what I accomplished as a police officer, but I know what I've accomplished doing this kind of work, you know, supporting my brothers and sisters around the world now. Mm-hmm. We have cops that came from Finland. I didn't even know that was a place. And, you know, Australia, Singapore. You know, we, now we're starting to see, you know, responders from other, other parts of the world that are reaching out for help and, and coming to this little spot in California to get the help. And I had no idea how the hell... A cop in Singapore found out about us, you know, but it Pierce. gets out there. Pierce. Pierce. got to be some, talking. Some, some way or another. Yeah, and definitely. I mean, People so that's, that's one thing I want to hit off because this, the, the goal of this particular podcast is to spread the message of what is available for people. So talk about how uh, it has spread from a small town in California out to these places like Indiana and, you know, other remote yeah. retreats that you do. Yeah. So, um, so, sadly, we have a very long waiting list to get into our program. It's, um, it, it can be anywhere from six to nine months at any time. And, and it's hard to tell a responder that's calling you, you know, that, that, that shows that courage for the first time to be able to reach out. And then we have to tell them, yeah, we'll see you in six months. And that's, it's heartbreaking for me, you know, as one of the directors of this organization to, to have to tell people that. So we have decided that we're going to spread this out. So in the past uh, six years, we started expanding, you know, going to different states, Arizona, Oregon, Washington, Indiana, Nebraska, uh, Kansas. And um, there might be more. I just can't think right now. But we've gone to those places with the goal that we would be able to help the responders in those communities so that they don't have to fly all the way to California you know, for treatment that we, we will have, we will have retreats run in those states and in those general areas. So that's what we're doing now. And we're, we're spread, we're, we're spreading the wealth. Um, and the unique thing about what we do is, well, you, I'm sure you understand that every, every area of the country has a different kind of police culture, a different kind of fire culture. And why not, why not run these retreats that understand that, that culture, right? The Midwest is different from Northern California. Sure. I mean, it's like a different place on earth. Utah from California. Utah. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. I'm being a person from both and, and you coming visit. How, how different is it here? Oh, yeah. Just culturally. And that, that bleeds into the police force, the fire, you know, right. everything. You know, so, right. yeah, so why not, why not take a bunch, of peer, a bunch of peers and clinicians that understand the culture of that, of that particular particular place and let them help their their brothers and sisters you know it's it our 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 retreat in kansas runs the same way as our retreat in california but with just a little different flair that is unique to them oregon same way washington same way and 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 it's because they understand that they understand the culture uh, of, of those responders now because we have so many that from other parts of the country where we don't have satellites, uh, we will send people from Florida to Indiana. We'll send, we'll send, we'll send California people, you know, up to Washington, you know, wherever space is available. But the goal is, you know, my, when I retire, if I ever retire from this job, I'm hoping that there'll be dozens of satellites that of what we do around this country to help the, the, the large number of people that need it. I've never seen your head shake up and down so many times. You're you're into this. I'm a believer. Yeah, I yeah. can tell. 
I can yeah. tell. Well, you, you just, everything he says, you're nodding. What are your thoughts? Preach. Yeah. My thoughts. Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> it, it is. It's, and, and the, and the, the good thing is, is everywhere is adaptable to stuff. It had to start somewhere. So, you know, where you were at. Great. So it's not that it's not that anybody else. It's not like okay, is Utah, Wyoming, Idaho, are they doing it wrong? It's they're not doing it, and so it's spreading them. Well, this is this is not that complicated to do for people. You know, we have. It's not like this is some secret society or you know credentials or anything like that. It's like hey, yeah, you go then and tell your friends about us. Because we want to talk, we want to, you know, work with your friends too, and 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 that kind of momentum in a, in a, community blossoms to to the county to the, to the community at large to the state to whatever to where, yeah, I th- I really think we're at a tipping point where, you know, especially this next generation that's coming up in our workforce, if we can get wellness, to be a part of their culture. I mean, we're, we're literally conquering one of the biggest Goliaths, one of the biggest challenges we have in law enforcement, and that's the shit that we deal with, being our own worst enemies oftentimes because we don't handle things the right way internally, which leads to us handling things the wrong way externally. And, and you know, so as far as our abilities to do all of the things that our communities want us to do, and our communities are definitely demanding more of us now than ever, well, so if we need to be more professional and everything, well, we need to equip our people better than ever. And, and, and I really believe that that's, you know, part of what, part of what that, that legacy, when you do retire, when you do go away is, yeah, you've, you've left something that's going to run, you know? And like I said, I believe this next generation, this, this kind of stuff, I think is going to be automatic. It's not going to be people feeling like they got to take a leap of faith anymore. It's like, no, this is what we do. This is how we take care of ourselves. And the person that's the, 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 the weirdo or whatever you want to call it is the ones that are like, I'm not doing anything like that. I'm not doing <laughs> self-care. I'm not. You mean there's going to be a day when the, when the guy who's drinking himself to an oblivion, that's going to be the weird guy? He's the dumbass. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> You've got a lot of hope in humanity. In yeah. 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 Like, because mm-hmm. if you talk to, to someone who's been in the career as long as you are, you have. That's not their thought process. No, often. it's not. I mean, that, that's just it, is it? And it was not my thought process for 17 years. My thought process was do not feel, do not feel, do not feel, do not feel. Work harder, work harder, work mm-hmm. harder. And that, for me, lasted. I, I was able to maintain that for 17 years. And then crash, boom, bang. And, you know, that, and that's kind of where my platform advocacy whatever you want to call it from is like okay i'm not embarrassed i'm not in sh- i'm not ashamed i i'm a better i'm not the same person i was when i was 23 years old and jumped into this career but i'm not a evil wicked bad person either i'm still a good person i'm just different yeah you know and that those differences are okay and we can acknowledge those differences we can talk about them and we can tell a a, a rookie hey Learn something from me besides how to, besides just street survival, learn some emotional or learn some, learn some wellness stuff from me too. take better care of yourself, you know, because, you know, if, if your mind is the best tool in your, in your toolkit, you know, why have we conscientiously been so neglectful of it historically in our profession for the last hundred years? Yeah. You know, don't treat the mind. In fact, let's poison your mind instead of treating it yeah and and it's refreshing for me is when i see veteran officers like yourself you've been around for a long time that especially when you you climb up the ranks and being able to to talk about this and and making you know painting this picture of the future which which is a bright future if if our man if we could just get them to stop drinking themselves to death Mm -hmm. but but we haven't even talked about the suicide problem in our culture you know, but if we can get to that point, I mean, I, I, I'm, I hope in my lifetime that I can sell the building that we have in California because who needs retreats for, for cops and firefighters that have post-traumatic stress? We don't need it anymore. They take care of themselves, their departments, their cities, the, 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 the citizens back them and they take care of them. 
we close our doors and we become a winery and then we make some real money. Oh, yeah. I'm ready to go work on a farm if, right? this, if this is never needed again. I'm, Let's grow I'm some cool alfalfa. Dying. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Build some hay. Yeah. yeah. And, and could, you know, could it happen? Why couldn't it? You know, if, you know, we have people that are strong mentally that whatever, whatever they're doing to stay that way, they're able to do this career. Not every, not every police officer or firefighter that does 30 years is, you know, sucking his thumb in the corner. You know, some people are able to do yeah. it. And they're doing that with limited help. So why, what, if we can give them help, if we, you know, I'm a huge proponent of peer support you know, and, and mental health resiliency within, within the careers. Why not 30 years that it's a different culture? And mm-hmm. we do close the doors. And, and, you know, I mean, I'm not a wine guy, so I'll sell the property and give it to somebody who knows grapes. But that's the reality. We, we can do it. But in the meantime, there has to be programs like Chateau. There has to be programs like West Coast. And there has to be whoever else wants to do this the right way. We need them out there to do it because there's a lot of people that are hurting. Yeah. And I think on that same side, we have to believe that we're making a difference because, I mean, obviously we, we are now tracking with a fair amount of accuracy the number of LEO suicides that occur. Yeah. You know, where, you know, I think it was about 30 years ago we started, you know, the Leoka tracking line of duty deaths. Well, within the past few years now we're tracking uh, suicides on a national level, but one number we don't track. And, and frankly, there's not a real way to do it. Well, how many have we prevented? You know, you, you say I've been to 189 retreats. Okay. Well, however many people that sums up to, how many of those people are still breathing air now and contributing to, to our society professionally retired peer working at home depot retiree whatever it is that they're doing but they're still connected to to life and they have families and stuff like that we'll never know that's the that's the undiscoverable statistic the same way you know in 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 crime stats where it's like well how many burglaries did you have well we can tell you that well how many burglaries did you prevent we have no idea yeah yeah you know Well, but, you know, but I can tell you from just from, you know, my experience in our program, we've saved a lot of people. Yeah. We've saved a lot. Um, you know, yeah, I don't know how you track that. Yeah. yeah. But it's significant. But we, but, and that's where it's like, we have to, it is, we have to look at it and say, this is working. It's not like we're going to have people that are going to fill out some questionnaire of, you know, what saved you or, or whatever, but we have to look at things like that and say, Hey, this is effect. It is effective. It is working. These are the differences that we can employ to create that resiliency in our people and, and the, the ability to survive and, and thrive in life mm-hmm. where it's not like we're not getting it. There's not a hard quantifiable measurement of how well is this working? It is working. And we have to be, we have to accept it is working. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, will we see the statistics go down? That, you know, that, that would be a, a measurable, you know, way of, of looking at, do we see the, the stats go down, you know, across the nation if, if there is a drop in suicide? Um, yeah. So then we can probably, we can say something has changed. What is that? I don't know. I mean, we are on that wellness push in, yeah. in our culture, right? In the police culture and the fire culture, the wellness is being pushed right now, and, and you know, and I know that there's some people pushing it for the wrong reasons. I mean, come on, it's human beings, right? But it's being it's being pushed. So in 20 years from now, if our stats look better, then maybe maybe it, it worked, maybe it worked. But um, but yeah, but but yeah, how are we going to measure that? And and that's one of the sad things too around the nation. You know, I will I still hear chief executives saying, well, we can't, we can't support this program financially because we don't, we don't see the end results. We don't have the statistics. Even though you know, peer support traditionally will give you, you know, stats of how many contacts. But you, it's, it's hard when you're counting you know, the beans, right? Okay, how many beans do I put into this? Well, I don't know. Worth it? Well, my, my question to some of the bosses is, well, have you had a suicide? Yeah. Right? Exactly. Have you lost an officer or a firefighter to suicide? No, we haven't. Then you're fortunate. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe we should just keep doing it, right? 
Well, I'm looking at, in my head, I just counted while you were talking, and I can't confirm their names, neither can you to me, uh, but I'm counting 16 people I know that have gone through your program, and each one of them, they when they when they talk about it, they talk about it saving their life. Yeah. And that there's no reason, you know, that, why are they telling me that? Obviously, because it means it did something for them. Yeah. That's that's the measurement tool that we get to see every day that those bean counters don't get to. You're right. You're right. And and it's not and it's not always when they say, you know, you saved my life or the program saved my life. Is it did we prevent somebody from eating their gun? It's not always that. It's the life. Or you know, I remember asking one of the founders when I first got into this program. I said, because I you know I was a military medic. My job was to fix people, get them back on the line. Right. So I was thinking. This program has got it, you know, how many people are you putting back to work? And I remember asking him, how many people go back to work? And he goes, I don't know. And I remember thinking, well, you should probably know that. And, you know, and he goes, we're not a re- return to work program. We're a return to life program. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that hit me hard when, when he said that. And it changed my mindset. I don't need to get you mentally healthy to go back out in the job and be re-traumatized because that's a potential. I don't care how healthy you get, you know, in Chateau or at West Coast, the potential, if you're going to go out there and do this job, there's a potential you're going to get hurt again, right? I don't, need to, I don't need to put people back on the street. If they can go back on the street, God bless them. And, you know, and that's, that's a win. But if I, can, if I can get a phone call from a kid that now is a police officer that's asking for help, because this just happened to me recently, who's a young police officer now. His dad came through the program before I even got started, 20 years ago. And he says, I think I need to come through this program. It saved my dad's life. Okay. All right. And we're talking marriage. We're talking... Yeah. Like, when we're encompassing life, we're talking about all the things that we all take for granted. Yep. Our everyday walking home, our dogs, whatever it could be. Yeah, yeah. Like that's life. That's that's what happiness is supposed to be. Is is the relationships we have, everything that we formed over the years, and it, it doesn't always have to be the career. <laughs> it's that saving your thrive. You know, not just your life, not just your maintaining a pulse and respirating and and all that stuff, but yeah, saving their their ability to thrive in life and not just exist. Right. You know, because the the guy that's drinking him to sell, drinking himself to death, is still alive. But he is not thriving. Yeah, and he's so we and have he's to look at big picture. Too. It's not just whether or not you're still on this side of the grass or not. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I love, I love, I love the that we've, you know, saved families. Yeah. You know, so you know we have one responder come through, but but, you know, a spouse and three kids also, you know, received benefits from from sending yeah. their 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 mom or dad back a little bit healthier. That doesn't take away. The, I mean, we don't, it's not a quick fix. I mean, this is a lifetime process that they have to work through. But it's nice to be on that end. I, I, I was talking to a guy, um, and he said, he goes, Nick, have you, you watched that show Yellowstone? I go, yeah. I goes, yeah, I like that show. And I go, yeah, I mean, it's pretty, pretty cool. Pretty violent, though, man. And he goes, he goes, yeah, but it's a good show. And he goes, thank you. I went, Am I paying for your Netflix account? I don't, yeah. What am I doing here? I don't know. Why are you thanking me? He goes, he goes, if I wouldn't have gone through the program, I would have killed myself five years ago. I would have never saw that show. I went, okay. There you go. Yeah, that's the uh-huh. shit I'm talking about. I think yeah. the, before we wrap up, the last part that I want to get out, I think when I see this personally, and I want your thoughts on this, is I, I think it's a tough thing for people like yourself and Josh to help those understand that, you know, this career is not necessarily their life. Mm. Because a lot of people, I think, come into your program and our program where their job defines who they are, everything about them. It's, it's everything. So what are you seeing in, in that aspect? Are you, are you able to work through some of those problems or, or do you, when someone is experiencing that, is it like a red flag? Yeah. You know, there's only one place where I've seen it as strong, that identity on what you do. What, 
what brings a paycheck home, right? There's only one other community I've seen that, that take it that seriously, and that's professional athletes. Mm-hmm. You know, when they, when, when they get their knee blown out, their life is over. You know, it's like they can't run with a football anymore or they can't hit a hockey puck anymore because of this injury. And their life just spirals because they've, they've identified themselves as, as this professional athlete, right? That was my dad. Absolutely. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you understand that? 100% grew yeah. up with it. Yeah. It, it, the church I used to work at, we had a, you know, a lot of the local, you know, uh, like the Oakland A's and Giants players used to go to our church. And I would hear that from them. It's like they were freaking out about losing their their ability to throw a fastball 90 miles an hour, right? And, you know, it, I'd have a guy in my office that was, you know, suicidal because he can't throw a ball anymore. And then later that afternoon, I got a cop in there who blew his knee out. He says, what am I now? So it's that identity. I don't know where that starts, man. I, I want to I, I go back in time, find that person that started that myth and punch him in the throat because it's bullshit. Yeah. I'm not, I am way more than a police officer, Right. You know, but there was a time when that's all I was. When I was injured and I thought I wasn't going to be able to be a cop anymore, I remember sitting in my chief's office crying, you know, which is not easy to do in front of the chief of police. But he was a friend of mine, and I said, what am I going to do? And he's looking at me. He's like, don't you do that thing up there at the West Coast post-drama retreat? I go, yeah. He goes, do that. He goes, you are way more than a street cop. Yeah, but right now it's all falling apart. So I, I even bought into that stuff. But with, with some separation now, yeah, that was a career. It was a great career. Don't get me wrong. Wouldn't trade it for the world. Maybe I'd trade the city I worked in where I didn't, went, didn't expect you to work in Danville. I would have gone to Danville, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, we try to break down that, but that's hard to break down. When, I heard it said one, one time. When I, it was a guy that was addicted to pills. And he says, it's, it, it was, it's harder for me to put down the identity of being a, this guy was a firefighter. It's harder for me to put down the identity of being a firefighter than the bottle of pills. He goes, and I had, and he goes, I've been trying to kick pills for a year. That, and I go, that, that really resonated with me. So somewhere in there, in our psyche, we become the badge I don't know I don't know how that starts I don't know where it starts but it's it's hard and I don't think we can break that down in in six days yeah years even can that be broken down in years I think yeah I think it can be I think I think when I think when the realization comes that you are more than than the job when when that clicks but I don't know where that clicks I mean, Chief, you're still in it. I mean, have you? Is that still part of you? The identity piece? Yeah. Not like it used to be because I do feel more irrelevant. I mean, I don't. I don't help. There's not one person in my hundred thousand citizen community that I directly help the same way I did when I was a street cop. Right. You know, I don't, I'm not impacting people's lives. And so, yeah, for me, the, the meaning, um, finding meaning has been one of the biggest challenges, frankly. Finding the identity um, has been one of the biggest challenges because I don't, you know, I, in a way, I feel so unqualified or inept in what I'm doing. It's like, hey, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to keep things from getting worse versus, oh, I'm going to fix everything, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. And where we've, you know, as it, like you talked about a little bit earlier, you don't know how many people you, you don't know what, what, what bit of good you did do as a police officer in your career. Um, because it is, there's just no real way of measuring it. And then when you're still, and then in, in where I'm still at stuff where it's like it, again, it's like, how do I measure any level of success and meaning and things like that where, yeah, you've been able to move in into, to this second profession and, there are, you see every day, every retreat, hey, these are people that have been impacted by what I'm doing. And, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I look at that with, with, with a bit of envy, if you will, that it's like, hey, you, you're actually able to, to recognize the, the impact you're having on the world. Yeah. 
Well, back to your question, Austin. You know, I don't. You know, it's 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 hard. Yeah. You know, it's hard. It's hard to put down this identity. You know, but and the sad thing is, sometimes they can't even see that they're a husband or a wife or a father exactly. or a son or a brother. Yeah, exactly. They can't. They can't see that. They all they see is that that uniform. Tomorrow, I got to film. You know. A, a little quick little um, uh, video for a friend of mine who's retiring. And I'll be honest with you, I'm worried about him because that's all he's known. This is the only thing that he's ever wanted to do in his life. And he's coming to the end of his career. I'm a little worried about what he's going to, what he's going to do. Yeah. You know, so there's going to be probably a good conversation. I'm going to have to have with him. And the, the reason I asked that question is, you know, as, as our listeners know, I'm, I'm not a first responder. Uh, and there are limitations when I'm talking to someone on the phone of, uh, I don't know if it'd be advice or, you know, uh, not a, a licensed clinician. I don't want to be, but I had a firefighter yesterday ask me that question. How can I get rid of this identity that I've had for 30 years? Him in particular was 30 years. And, my response was, I don't know, because I, d- I didn't. And, and I think that what I got out of what both of you said was keep working at it because the day will come. The day came for you. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's happening for you. And but it took a lot of work. Yeah. And so I wanted to leave with that because that stuck with me. I thought about it all night last night. Yeah. yeah. What was the answer to that? Was, was there an answer even? Yeah. I, you know. Maybe you just got to point out all the other things he is, right? Yeah. You know, but in saying that, sometimes they've pushed, they've pushed all those other things they are, the dad, the father, all that stuff. They've, they've pushed those things far away that, that that is their only thing left. And that's where I get a little fr- you know, frightened. Yeah. You know, so, so yeah, and, and maybe, you know, 20 years from now, you know, you know cops and firefighters, you know, won't be building their that identity part of it. I don't know. The, the future is is wide open. Yeah, and that's that's where I want to leave this podcast is on, on that note, which is for those that may be feeling that way, or for those that may be struggling or uh, having suicidal ideation. Is you are a brother, a father. You know, you you are worth it. I guess is the 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 thing to leave it on. So yeah. Yeah, you know the, um, yeah, if a, if cops commit suicide tomorrow, you know, in five or six years they will be forgotten at that agency, but that family will never forget, and that will leave a lasting stain on that family for the rest of their lives. So, where, where do you want to put the work in? You want to put your work in at where the paycheck comes, or do you want to put the work in at, at home where you should be doing it? So. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Nick, it's 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 been a pleasure the last couple of days. It's been fun to get to know you, Chief. You get uglier every time thank I see you. Shut up. But thank you for coming on, Nick. Thank you. Uh, hopefully, we get to do it again sometime. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. you guys can come out to Cali and do it. Yeah. Maybe I'm gonna be dropping Chief off for for yeah, a six right. day stay. <laughs> well, yeah. You're always welcome. We we always got a bed. Uh, we even we even treat Chiefs of Police. Well, good. Yeah. And we have a, we, you don't get to eat with the rest of the people, but. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. You, <laughs> have, you have cloth napkins and stuff, I hope. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have, you know, it's all catered. You know? Okay. We good, want to make good, sure good, you good. feel no. at home. Uh-huh. Yeah. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this segment of No One Fights Alone. No One Fights Alone is sponsored by Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues. It addresses the why. 
Each of their seasoned, trauma-trained, and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based, specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact, it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information, or to speak to a representative, go to chateaurecovery.com or call 888-507-5031. No One Fights Alone is also sponsored by First Responder Trauma Counselors. First Responder Trauma Counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour all-badges, all-uniforms, and all-scrubs educational experience helps to create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. The FRTC National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent, licensed behavioral health clinicians that teach from lived experiences, not just theories from books. This fast-paced, immersive educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details, visit 991overwatch.org or call 970-222-419-3. This could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.